0: Welcome to the Pointing It Out podcast. I am Megan Holmes here at the Needlepoint Clubhouse in St. Louis, Missouri. And I am Melissa McLeod at the Wool and the Floss in Gross Point, Michigan. We have been Needlepoint besties
1: for a number of years now, and we love talking about all things Needlepoint.
0: It's true. And whether we're talking about our friends in the industry or chatting about tips and tricks that we've learned over the years, we are just here to keep you company while you stitch. For the visual version of this podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel at YouTube at Pointing It Out Podcast. Anyway, here we are. I am Megan Holmes. I am here in St. Louis. Actually, I'm here in Kirkwood, Missouri at my shop called the Needlepoint Clubhouse, also known as STL Needlepoint on Instagram. And you are.
1: I'm Melissa McLeod. Um, I'm here at the Wool and the Floss, which is just outside of Detroit in Cross Point, Michigan. Should I say also known as at the Wool and the Floss on Instagram?
0: <laughs> I always say that because people get confused. Are you called the Needle Point Clubhouse or are you called say STL Needlepoint? And probably a little bit of a marketing nightmare that I shouldn't have created, but you know, hindsight well, is probably we'll 2020. Where you are, so. That's true. Yeah. So um I said to give you grief, because I haven't given you grief about that. Grief is good, and I, sometime (laughs) offline, maybe online, when I get the guts, I'll explain to people why I did that, but I'm not sure I'm gutsy enough to explain why right now. We'll
1: we'll cast on that for the moment.
0: Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm also having a little trouble hearing you, and so I'm just trying to get my volume up. There we go. So, Mm -hmm. um... That's a little bit better. Yes, thank you. So together, uh, we do this thing once. Well, I guess we're now doing it together a couple times a month. Um, We are doing the point. We are here to do the Pointing It Out podcast. um, And you are watching it right now on YouTube. And um, thanks for finding us. Here we are. Uh, This week, we are talking about, hold on, you have a really good title, and I want to make sure I read it right. Your best needlepoint yet. So um, I love that title, and one of the reasons why I love it so much is because I think that our needlepoint craft is an evolution, and I think that, um, you know, you learn some things on your own, and then you learn some things from other people, and then you keep learning, and you keep learning, and um, we have some tips and some ideas of ways that we think anyone could enhance their stitching experience. Might be some things they already know, might be some things that they don't want to try, but... (laughs) We're going to suggest it anyway. <laughs> Wouldn't you say that to be true? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So we, back in back in the olden days and ancient times when we had, let me think about that. Ancient times uh, 18 months ago? Yeah. That, that long ago, yes. When the dinosaurs roamed the earth, um, we used to have five knitting classes a week and three needlepoint classes a week, plus then we had some specialty classes usually two or three times a month. So, um, one of the needlepoint classes we did was with uh, my finishing manager, whose name is Kirstie, um, and she's an excellent, excellent stitcher, and she manages all the fabulous people who pull together all of our finishing, Um, and she's the one who kind of deals with the nightmares that pop up when there's some little things in the needlepoint that could have been done slightly differently that would have made for a better outcome or an easier job for the finishers or whatnot. So... Um, she and I kinda of pulled this class together a few years ago and I will be honest, it wasn't terribly well attended because it sounds really boring. I mean, like these are like you don't sit down and come out with some beautiful project when you're done. Wait a minute though, did you call it your best needle point yet? We did. We had maybe we ran it twice, once on a weekday and once on a weekend. So we try to, you know, work around our people who have a regular nine to five job. And I think we had like two people in one class and three people in the other, maybe three and four. It was like not usually time but every single one of them were like, that was the most informative two hours I have ever spent. And every single one of your customers should come to this class. So we're in a position, position now where we're not even doing classes. Um, Things are still kind of wonky with COVID. You know, if you're not watching this currently, like most shops are just now starting to make masks optional, but still sitting elbow to elbow with someone for two hours straight, especially when COVID was really, really bad in Michigan and my shop's small. You know, I think we're not all quite ready to go there yet. So we thought um, a little Reader's Digest version of the class um, for those that want to
0: follow along might be Well, and I was just going to say, I don't know what you charged for that class, but this admission is free. So isn't that amazing? (laughs) For sure.
1: So, um, yeah. So, you know, some of this is kind of nitty gritty and kind of dry and not too sexy, but um, it's the little boring things that I think can make a big difference in your needlepoint and you'll be like a great outcome. So totally agree with you. um, Yeah. So shall I start? I think you should. And I have, you gave me a really nice outline. So I actually can follow along like a good girl okay. this time. Um, okay. And I think that the beginning is just so awesome and so basic, but I, we get a lot of questions about it. So we do. We do. So um, I, we are asked quite regularly, what size needle do I need and what are these funky numbers? And I don't understand and blah, blah. blah. And for the most part, most shops give you a needle with your project. And you can assume that if they gave you a certain size needle on a certain size canvas that you have the right needle. So it's okay. Hopefully you can uh, that. If this person is watching who called call this a couple of weeks ago, they are like, this needle is not working. And I was like, oopsie, guess we messed up. <laughs> well, occasionally, if we're in a hurry, we could put too small or too large of a needle on the wrong project. It can happen, but for the most part. It is safe to assume for the most part that your local Needlepoint shop is going to give you the correct needle. <laughs> <laughs> so normally, um, a needle will come and I should have brought two sizes here. I didn't. I just brought over the bigger needle, which I don't even know if you're going to be able to see. I don't but know. But anyways, this is a tapestry needle and the, the, I'm poke, poke, poking, because it's really not very sharp. So tapestry needles are cool. not sharp. And for the most part, that's what we use a needle point because we're not piercing a fabric. We're putting, uh, oh, there you go. So you have an, uh, 20 and a 22 there, right? Sure do. Patty just handed me some too. So, Yeah, so the smaller one is the larger number, which is counterintuitive. So you would use a smaller needle, which is a size 22, on an 18-mesh canvas. And guess what? You don't really need to know any of that. You can look it up on the internet. You can call one of us. You can call your local yarn shop. It's kind kind of meaningless data. Truth be told, I had stitched. I've stitched since I was seven years old, which, you know, was just a few years ago and i've only owned the shop for four years and i'm the first three years i had to cheat and look at the labels on the inside of the bins i finally have it straight so point is don't get all caught up in what number blah blah blah. but generally you do need a 22 for an 18 mesh a 20 for a 13 mesh and the reason you use the bigger needle i'm going to back up there you're going to use the right size needle for the right size canvas because the point of uh Needle is when you push it through your canvas. It's oh, sorry, I should show this off. Let's see if I can get this straight. The tip is narrower than the eye, right? So, your thread is going through the eye of the needle. Imagine that. And when you put it through your canvas, it very easily goes in. When you pull it through, when the eye gets there, it's going to have a little tiny bit of a tug to it, and that opens up those canvas threads so that the wear and tear is on the needle and the wear and tear is not on your thread. So um, a lot of times when people say, oh, my thread's getting all frayed, my thread's pilling," whatever. Many times that could be because you're not using a big enough needle for your project. If you're using a 22 needle, which ideally would be for an 18 mesh canvas, and you're using that on a 13 mesh, then that needle isn't opening up that hole. And then therefore the thread is dragging against those canvas threads. The, the stitching thread is dragging. against the canvas.
0: Exactly. And I, you've got some other notes here. I almost think that needles could be a whole podcast as I'm thinking about this, because there's mm-hmm. all different kinds of needles, but let's just keep it basic. So you're using a tapestry needle. You're right. Size 20 is for the larger mesh size 22 is for the smaller mesh. And honestly, I've gotten to the point now where I can feel, I can tell when I
1: have it in my hand, like which one, it's weird. I can just, I just sort of know. I'm like, oh yeah, this is definitely a bigger needle. Um, There's also, te- I, te- I te- think that's more of like almost being a shop owner though, because we handled them all day long. Because when I just worked here one day a week, I, I'd have to put them next to each other. To
0: yeah, so. the 18s are a little bit shorter. Yeah, all the things. But yeah, so I, I think it's great to point out the reason why it's a tapestry needle and why the tap, what you just said is true is that it opens it up so that you're not wearing and tearing on your, um, on your
1: canvas. But that leads what I think to the next point, very wonderfully, which is the point is that this opens up your canvas so that you don't wear and tear, but you're still going to wear and tear a little bit on your thread. Of course. Of course. Which is why you should use, I always thought it was, um, I th- I've always been told it was from like here to here should your thread should be you more think more that's about 18 inches I oh, was thinking impressive. so from here to here yeah that's probably about 18 I was thinking 12 18
0: um but yeah. so you, if you're you
1: always you always want the visual aid I want the actual number <laughs> <laughs> because I'm the I which is the left
0: side the number you're the number side I'm the other side whatever that exactly. is anyway so yes I yes so you want a short ish. If you're, if you're like doing this,
1: then you got a problem, right? And you're, you've got a great point next. So what is your next point? So So people always laugh at me because literally I know at least a handful of stitches and okay, this is embarrassing. I apologize in advance. I've still never watched your podcast with Daryl. So is it possible (laughs) you guys talked about rotator cuff injuries? Right. So overuse injuries is really kind of what that point Literally, there have been people that have hurt their shoulder by doing this. You shouldn't be getting ready to play tennis. I mean, that's terrible tennis form. So tennis people forgive me, but yeah. you know, you get my point. So, right. um, and one of my very, very good friends and customers, her name is Narna, and I yell at her about this situation all the time. And by the way, she's a nurse <laughs> and she's always using her thread too long. And so, I mean, we laugh about this all the time because she will say, I know. So she's a shoulder mount, and literally, she had her shoulder operated on. And she's still doing it, and she's still. And so, as she's recovering, and she's just out of the shoulder brace, she's doing this again. I'm like, Lerna, seriously. <laughs> so, I mean, it sounds like a big exaggeration, but literally, you can injure yourself. So,
0: don't do that. So don't injuries that. is one thing, and that's a there's a whole podcast on that. But I think for making your for from the point of making your canvas the best it can be. So the idea is that it you are going to get wear and tear. So obviously this part at the end, well, no, this part at the end is just going to keep going through the canvas and keep going through the canvas. And what that does is at the very end, some people say, well, why does it look, why do I have a line here? Well, that line is like that blue thread has gotten all broken down. How, so, so one of the questions always is, did you, are you using long lengths of thread? Because at that last basket
1: we've stripped, that last one where you buried your thread, might be all broken down
0: basically and it's kind of sucked all the dye out of it so um to avoid that that's one way to avoid that situation but to avoid that is to use shorter threads um
1: yeah so i don't think there's anything more to say about that than that so so there's lots of reasons for keeping it to 18 inches and that said with some more persnickety threads for lack of a better word you might even use twelve inches. Water and ice, for instance. Even some um, may kind of tangles up if you get it going for too long. Yeah, I don't tend to have a problem with that as much. Um, but I, I'm just thinking the ones that like literally fall apart on you. Oh you know. Nick, any of the metallics are gonna break down faster in my opinion, because right. they're breaking. all right. <laughs> <laughs> so so when we're so I personally I think eighteen inches is the longest you should go. Um, If you are stitching with velvet, you also want to keep that a little bit shorter. And the main reason you want to keep that shorter is on a regular um thread. I just pulled a piece of silk and ivory because we're going to use this as a visual for this. Um, But, you know, I can keep my tail fairly long. But if this were a piece of velvet, you would want your tail to be like here. Because what happens with velvet, if you use very velvet or petite very velvet, this needle makes a notch in the thread. Yeah. So as soon as you move it, anything beyond that notch is useless because right. you don't want that big empty notch showing right. on your point. Right. So with very velvet, I would keep it a little shorter because you're not able to slide this along the eye of the needle. So, um, good, good yeah. one for question one. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're using ribbon-style threads, and I should have brought some here, and I don't necessarily mean a ribbon, but I mean like neon rays or neon rays plus. Anything handy? Or my, favorite, that, my favorite fireworks, I might have handy because I always have some fireworks. A 14 or a 15, which is it going to be? <gasps> oh, my gosh. Do I have it in here? Oh, no. No, but you know what I do have? This is because I have a piece. Hold on. No, wait. I got to see. I got to see. Yes, I do. You totally know me. Here it is. <laughs> All right. Fifteen. There we go. So <laughs> if you can hold that up, that is it's not made of ribbon. That is not a silk ribbon by any means, but it is constructed like a ribbon where it is flat. Actually let me uh, see if I do this better. And so sometimes a lot of people use a laying tool with that. Some people might just use another needle, a finger, or whatever. Um I know one of your favorite laying tools, and I've left this it's a I usually have one right here. Yeah. Uh, I have yeah, a smart. I have it. Great, but now I don't have it. I have it, except for it's in its tube. So I can't get it out of this without ruining it. So I don't want to do that. You so don't want to ruin you your nail. nail it, this will stick to your needle minder or magnetize to your needle minder. And it gives you something to hold on to. And it gives you this nice little shaft. So you can lay that yeah. flat style thread over it as you stitch. And it will keep it from turning. Yep. Um I have discovered of late, um, that I used to try to use a BLT and it wasn't really working for me personally for whatever reason. And so I've discovered these big fat needle, uh, yeah. needle, and I, it gives, I think I like it better because I've got more to hold on to and that's what works best for me. And it's a very individual thing, but it's going to work the same. It just has a wooden tip. Um, and you're going to lay either your ribbon-style threads over it or if you're using a pliable thread, like a Flender or a Threadworks or something where you're pulling it apart where Megan showed us in our stranding episode. Wake up! Wake up! This will help you with that, too. Um, So that's just another thing with threads and trying to make threads work for you. We have had a couple of episodes on threads. I think, or have we just had, I, I can't even remember. We, we've been at this for a year now. I, I'm not really sure. But we've had one or two episodes solely on thread that you'll get more information about that. Yep. Um, but the other thing to keep in mind is your threads need to match your canvas size. So just like your needle yes. need to match your canvas size, yes. your threads mm-hmm. need to match your size. So those people that are knitters they just they all know like all these knitting terms there's fingering weight and dk weight and worsted and chunky and bulky and blah 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 blah, blah. ours isn't quite as neat and tidy as that because there isn't a set label for sizes of thread you just kind of need to know that vineyard silk is designed for 18 mesh pepper pot is designed for 18 mesh but it works for a lot of people on 13 mesh so you just kind of start to know those things or have your shop. As a resource to go to. But again, um, a, an example of that to me, a very obvious example, is a lot of people come in here. I talk about this all the time. We're a big belt, big belt city. And a lot of people are sold silk and ivory for 18 pound mesh belts. And it drives me crazy because it's
0: trying to smoosh too much stuff into a tight space. And so then they come in and they're like, why do I have all these bumps? And it could be that they're not following
1: the poles and ladders of basket weave, which I don't remember if we've done a podcast on that or not, but um or if we're gonna get to that in this <laughs> but anyway, it could be that you're not following your direction on your basket weave, but it's also because you're trying to push so much into a space that it has no place to go. So it it pops up on top of the canvas and you get a lump. Um well, was, as we talked about earlier, the the canvas threads are designed to shift a little bit. It's just like those they're buildings working. that are built to sway in the breeze, <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. But yeah. these are designed to move a little bit. So they're going to move a little bit so your fat end of your needle can get through. But that also means that then they're getting bigger and then you go to the next hole and try to put something through that's a little too big. And it just all doesn't come
0: together. And the only people who ha- are successful silk and ivory on 18-pound stitchers,
1: in my opinion, are those who have a really light... They can really just keep it light going through and they're not scoopers and they're just up and down and they are really got a really light touch. And um, And I thought you were going to say that they were tight stitchers. Well, maybe they're super tight or they're super light, but they're not right in between. And in either way, it has to be consistent because anytime you're not, you know, paying really good attention and you're not going to pay good attention and have this same consistent um, tension on a belt because obviously you're not doing that in one sitting. So um well, anyway, you've hit my hot button, I'm like most with you. everything else. Um yeah. there's always exceptions to the rule because one of my most prolific stitchers in the shop learned how to stitch at a shop in Pennsylvania and that's their thing. And she learned how to stitch with silk and ivory at eighteen and her things are beautiful. Beautiful. It, but she it is, is the a sense. exception to the rule. She's the exception to the rule. So I just, anyway. case she's watching us. I don't want her to be offended because she's a great stitcher. So no well. offense, but I, I'm just saying if you, again, to have your best canvas, if you're having a problem, that might be one of the answers to one of your problems, is using the wrong size thread for the, for the wrong, like the wrong size mesh. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So I know we've talked about this before, but I don't think it can be said too much. All right. Yeah. Always, always, always keep your labels. So. Your label, and I'm sure most of you know this, or your card, whatever the case may be, cards are slightly different from labels because that gives us a color number. With something like Planet Silk or Planet Earth, Pepper Pot Silk, Vineyard Silk, Silk and Ivory, all those things, they give you a color name and a dye lot number. So if you come in here and you say, I need more of that orange thread. We're going to try to not look annoyed when we say, Shh, <laughs> when you hand us just a scrap like this and say, oh, I need more of this. Well, first we have to feel it, touch it, look at it, and decide what kind of thread it is. Then we have to decide what the color number is. And there's no way we're ever going to know what the dye line is. No, there's no so, way. if you keep that label, and it could be either in the Flossoy bag with your thread, if you use flossway bags, You can open up these threads in a way that, like you, after you open the twist, I was just kind of looking slide it back on, so the label stays with the thread. Um, We can't always find you old dialots, but if we have an old dialot number, there's a hope that we can help you. Yeah, we do have that network of people that are always kind of helping us search. But yeah, so we've talked about that before. I feel like it's beating a dead horse, but I think it's so important because having those labels, it's like going out uh, with an umbrella and hoping it doesn't rain. Right. You know, if you if you leave that umbrella at home, you're screwed. <laughs> For sure. That's right. Yeah. So I'm all about that. OK, so in our class, then we went on to talk about starting a thread that's the next thing you're going to do when you're stitching after you've kind of gathered all your supplies um and we got a little more supply talk at the end but um there are you have to start your thread somewhere and one of the most useful things i've learned in the last few years was like such a like moment for me was learning how to do a quilters knot and for those of you who have like sewn since you could walk um this is not anything earth shaking um, but a quilter's knot, and you can look this up on YouTube, but if you basically line up your needle with the end of your thread, so you're making a big circle. And this is less important with something like silk and ivory, more important with something if you're stitching with like two or three ply of a strandable thread. Mm-hmm. If you just tie a normal knot, you go to, to start your threads and that knot just pops right through the canvas because it's not meaty enough for your canvas. So if you put your thread in a circle like this, wrap it around one, two, three, four, it doesn't really matter how many times, three or more I would say. And you've wrapped this around your needle and I tried to get a dark thread. So hopefully you can see that. And you hold those little wraps in place, pull your needle through. And when you're done, now this is silk and ivory, but do, you, oops, where we go? I can't. I hate that you can't find where you are in the screen. That is a big honker knot. And see, I do that. I think I do that differently. I was going to try to, I do it all in one hand. And I go wrap, 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 and I grab the wraps and pull them over. Yeah, we're doing the same exact thing. It's just like what, what the right hand. I know. Isn't it funny that you can't find yourself? Well, well, I I actually got a loop. Oh, no, I didn't. I just didn't pull it off. So effectively, we're doing the same thing. It's just. That's how but I'm like learning. trying to watch you and trying to think about how I do it. And like, I do it kind of naturally now. I don't know. It's right. Hard. Maybe we are doing it the same, but <laughs> the camera. Yeah. And I'm just, it was being very definitive about it. So if someone's trying to like learn this at home. Good job. Um, yes. You, see, you I, really strong show that off. I you was just going to say,
0: this is what I do with my vineyard is I, I shove it all back through the little hole so that it all can live together. Yes.
1: And, I, and that's the same thing you could do with silk and ivory or even that pepper pot or the DMC little tube. You can slide those right back on. Perfect. Yep, 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 yep. Um, you got it. Okay, so that gives you a big fat knot. If you are, I'm going to cut this off just for kicks. Um, and Tim, the reason you're talking about this in the vein of having your best needle point ever is. So when you start, you can, and I showed the, you know what? I don't. I don't want to work on a store canvas. I don't have. Uh, I have some practice canvas with. Him. So we're gonna pretend that there's a. Uh, oh, your mystery kit canvas. No, no, that's not his summer. It's, it's his summer friend. Oh my god, so cute! Right, yes, because I did the winter ones. So I'm if your if your design was a circle in here, and you're just starting out, you might not. Uh, this is like, where do we start this topic? I know. That's why I was- keep the when you start or end a thread you want to keep it within the same color family that you're stitching so like on your little boy you would want to bury a knot of if you were starting with his like skin color you'd want to bury it within the skin color line so that the tail was not ending up in the direction you were stitching
0: Right. And so, and what you're talking about is a waist knot, not in the way knot, correct? That, that would
1: be a waist knot. So in my situation where I was coming up with this fake circle, I might be like, I'm not really sure what I'm doing. So I might put my knot way up here and then start stitching down here. And then when, after I've done my little spot, I can trim this knot off. I've left myself a good long distance I can rethread that needle and bury it within the the color.
0: I've never thought about that before.
1: Yeah, so there's an away knot and, and there's a waste knot, and some people use those terms interchangeably, and they're very very
0: different. Well, no, I know away and waste knots. What I didn't ever think about was reburying that end. I oh my gosh, this is a light
1: bulb moment. Because yeah, so that's the whole I point of the, using an away knot.
0: Well, I thought the whole point was to bury it as you stitched behind it. So like, so in other words, I'm going to come here and I'm going to stitch, stitch. Well, I'm going to come, eh, how do I, am I doing this on camera? So now I
1: can think of it. I know, and I'm going to stitch, 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 stitch like this. And then I'm going to tack it down
0: to the point that then I can just cut this off and it's already all tacked down. It never occurred to me that I could uh-huh. cut it. And as long as it was a long enough thing and go on the back and bury it.
1: But see what your first thing is truly a waist knot. A waist knot is designed so that you're covering it up until you get to that knot. Got you. And then you cut off the knot. And that is the same difference as in what was more typical in the old days. Let's see if I can still hear this. I'm only hearing what you're saying. This is amazing. Amazing. In the old days, uh, we didn't have knots at all. Let's see if I can pull this through. Um, And if I were stitching here, I might just hold my, this is the back of my canvas, I might hold the thread and stitch towards the thread. Right. Which there's zero there's zero problem with that. The beauty of having instead the knot on the front of your canvas is now these fingers are no longer held hostage, having to hold Yeah, these see fingers. I
0: can't do that. I other people hold on. I'm like, what are you doing? I can't I have to have my other hand.
1: Available. Those those are people who have stitched for like thirty years. Like that's just how they learn. That was the style then. And it is the same exact thing really as doing the the um Waist knot where you're stitching towards
0: it. So, So. the other thing that we encounter all the time at the shop, particularly with belts, sometimes with ornaments, whatever, is a person will have left all of their. Sorry.
1: Oh, we try not to hate those people, but we get a little grumpy here.
0: Well, no. And what I was going to say, we get a little grumpy, but I think aside from being grumpy, speaking of having your best canvas ever, I'm here to tell you that those finishers do not have time to trim your knot and bury your thread, trim your knot and bury your thread all along an entire belt strip. So you know what happens? They either just go ahead and finish it or they have to cut because your, your away knot is above where they have to cut to do their finishing. So, and, and that's not their fault. That's not, that's not their job, you know? Um, And so. Well, what happens,
1: what happens here is we see that. And I have one of my gals sit down, they cut all those little knots out, they get out that Loran thing, they bury all those little threads, it takes a couple of hours, and that adds on to your finishing cost. Oh, so you You charge for that? Oh, absolutely, because if we don't do it, the project's going to fall apart. I mean, you're going to have strong threads here and there over the course of time.
0: Well, um, Mm -hmm. where we see it most often, and um is belts honestly and I don't think people understand like I didn't until just five seconds ago that the idea is to then be able to th- I was always uh, under thinking that I was going to stitch over top of that again with a, in a different section of the canvas so that's what I always do I always put that where I know I'm going to stitch over it with like say the guy like, I'm going to stitch over it with the blue because I'm doing that you know like I, I know I'm going to tack it down at some point it has never occurred to me to go back and tack it I don't know why um, well, and I and
1: most of the code, typically. If you're using an away knot properly, you're not using it. You're really only using it either when you're working with a very open stitch, because you can't plan those yep. knots to go well, it anywhere. Yep. Um, or you're using it right at the beginning of your project, so you shouldn't have to go back and bury fifty knots. Or you know trim 50 knots and bury at the end. It should just be the
0: couple. And I, think, and I think that's why this is such an aha moment to me because I think people, some people think that that's the only way that you can start and stop. I, I, my guess is that the person who stitches a belt and there's knots all across the top and all across the bottom must not understand that you can tack your thread in different ways, um, right. which I think we're going to get to because um, why would you keep doing that? You know, like it, it takes more time to, in my opinion. But the other thing is the reason why the belt thing works. Okay. Is because most, okay. I'm not going to say that. I don't know. Most, I know my, our finisher uses an adhesive to get that backing on. Cause there's no other way to get that backing on. And so I don't worry about it. It annoys him because it gets in his way. So he just chops them with these giant scissors. I've seen him do it and it freaks me out. Cause I'm like, ah, <laughs> but he's done it for 35 years. So he, feels comfortable right. doing that but um he, the adhesive will keep the threads from popping up on top so it's going to be okay but um it's not going to be okay when they do that on a four inch round ornament exactly yeah. right that's exactly right and so those finishers then have to i know some finishers use a little dab of acid-free glue they have to do something they have to do something because it's well, there that, that's why
1: like i said we either say how about we send this back to you this is what needs to happen or i'd say we can do it here but you're going to pay an hourly rate for us right, to right, do. Right.
0: I don't. Um, yeah, I just don't see that as much on. Anyway, yes. It doesn't ha- It
1: doesn't happen that often here. I'd say like right. two or three times a year. We yeah, yeah, yeah. Of that okay. Because most teachers have been trained for
0: that. I think so. what I'm also doing is telling myself like this is such a great episode because people need to know this stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah. So the other thing when you're doing waist knots, we're going to pretend that my red thread is blue, um, and if I were starting in this upper right hand corner, like a right hander would do. Um, I would want to put this here. Um, this is now a waist knot. I'd want to put it there because I'm going to be stitching towards that. Right, right. And then you But more importantly, I'm putting it in the same color swatch on the canvas. Yeah, if great. I put my big blue thread starting down here, in the white, you're going to have a blue shadow through that white. And I see that, unfortunately, more often than I want to see. And when the canvas is done, there's nothing we can do about that. And to me, that's a little heartbreaking because putting the the knot here versus here is no difference in when you're stitching it. But outcome is huge. So I always try to keep the waist knot in the path of the direction you're stitching
0: as well as in the same color patch, if that's the right. No, that makes exact in the area that you have colors that are dark enough to hide it. I mean, yeah, that's just kind of a common sense thing um and then so to the point back to the point though of burying all those um so you you trim your mm-hmm. knot and then you go back and bury it um i don't think a lot of people realize this either because i tell people this all the time and i see it here in your notes the direction in which you bury those threads is important yes right
1: yeah well, especially when you're doing basket weave, a little less important with decorative stitches because you've got a little more wiggle room i guess um, But with basket weave, you really want to make sure, and I learned this after I've been stitching for probably 30 years, um, that if you're doing a true basket weave or continental, it's. I think um we all want to bury it on a diagonal, especially because the basket weave's done on a diagonal, but that'll make a big pucker in the front of your canvas. So you yep. want to either go on a
0: true vertical or a true horizontal. Have I told you what I call that? What? The mole hole. You know, like a mole's crawling across your yard and it's popping up, you know, it's popping up the little, like, dirt on the top. You're creating a mole hole on the top of your canvas.
1: So, you know what I'm wondering? So, what? So, what's always interesting to me is I have noticed, and hopefully no one will call me out and say that I'm wrong on this. But maybe they will because usually I'm wrong on something all the time. Um, when you have your waist knot, if it's not in a straight line, it's not an issue, right? That's I was thinking that. Tension.
0: That's right. I think you're I think you're covering that in a in a way that you're not popping up under the threads after that disrupting I was what's thinking exact seen. same thing. I would love to hear if somebody has an opinion on that, but I think what you're saying is correct, that if you have that thread down there, you're it's, right. it's just covering it. It's moving along. But if you're going to go back because what you're doing is breaking up, you're not you're not laying that cleanly with your needle you're breaking up threads as you go along possibly, you know, cause you're not obviously finding the exact, right. You see, you know what I'm saying? Anyway. Right. Right. So yeah. so There's not a tunnel. The, you're creating a hole. basically.
1: The yeah. other um, way to start a stitch that is kind of uh, was newer to me. Again, I think actually our friend Susie Valerie taught me how to do this at a, a TNA class a few years ago. Got me Laura Taylor. Oh. Cause it looks like know. an L. That's so funny. So a pin stitch can be called an L-stitch or a T-stitch or a pin stitch. It's really all the same thing. Mm -hmm. And what you're doing with that, um, and I still have a knot in this, so we're going to leave the knot just because it'll be easier for me to demonstrate. You're going to come up in hole A. Let's just call it hole A. And you're going to go down. Sorry, I'm trying to do this so you guys can see, and so it's not backwards to me. You're going to go down, directly down one canvas thread. Mm-hmm. and my L might be backwards to you when we're done here, you're going to go next door to where you just put your thread down, mm-hmm. up, and go back down in the same hole. And that's an L. Now, I, apparently I have trust issues because I don't always trust an L. So if I have space, mm-hmm. I make it a T, which means going to the other side of that shared hole. Mm -hmm. coming up and going back down in that shared hole and then this is i'm going to show you guys and hopefully i'm not going to make myself look like a fool um so if i pull on this it's staying put of course but of course i have the knot if we cut off that knot there's the moment of truth megan is it going to work well, it's worked for me before. I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. on this. this. See how hard I'm pulling? The canvas is moving. And this thing isn't going anywhere. But here's here's where you need to explain this to me. Why am I doing that? So you would do this, let's say, if you were a lot of times in a bargello stitch where you okay. have a nice long stitch. Because so it, it you're go, covering that over, right? Yeah. So this you wouldn't use this for me. And you know, everyone di- different ways, different strokes for different folks. I wouldn't use a pin stitch or a T stitch if I were doing basket weave. And you could do That's this. Different. Let me let's. let's well, you match. don't need to. You don't need to because you're covering it up. Like you're tacking right. your thread down when you're stitching over top of it. Well, let's say in this blue section, you wanted to do Alicia's lace. It basically creates an over two diamond all the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's different names for different stitches, so people might call that stitch something else. Uh, but I call it a leech's lace, and it's it's doing a bunch of little diamonds all over, and there's open space. I think it's also you called know, alternating continental, isn't it? Well, that's but but just for people over ones like whatever yeah. you know. So I, I get confused. I, I shouldn't say I get confused. There's just different names for different different stitches. But in any event, if you're doing it all open. And you're like, well, I'm not exactly sure where my open spaces are going to find. You could do an away knot way up here. Yeah. And then after you get all your little diamonds in, you could go back and feed your, your from your way knot and feed it through the back. Yep. Most finishes, they cut off the canvas, two canvas threads away from the edge of your work. Yes. So you could do a pin stitch right in this border. Yes, And I think on Great Lakes Good Times, I think I talked about using a pin stitch for that darning stitch in the border. If you, depending yes. on what you had stitched on. Yes. yes. So you could put your pin stitch right in the border, right, like just outside. It can't be four stitches outside because just like you It'll said earlier, oh, someone off. with big scary scissors is going to cut that off. <laughs> but if you put it like in that column of, the holes, usually we talk about threads in needle point, but if you do it in the column of holes right in between those two threads, then you should be okay with doing a pin stitch or a T stitch. In the but hiding and it is always a good I'm thing. just like, this just blows my mind. Like, I know. It, yeah. It and I think it does, it still works with an L stitch. I guess that I clearly have trust issues because I always do it three times. And the, the magic is always sharing a hole that you're, you know, going down in. Yes. So that it basically locks itself in. Yeah. Yes. So those are many, many ways you can begin a stitch. As a matter of fact, you can almost use many of those ways to end a stitch because you could end with a pin stitch if you wanted to. Uh Uh-huh. With, you know, if you were at the edge of your uh, work or if you. I'm just trying to think, I don't think you'd have a, I don't think you'd be able to get it tight enough to do a knot, but maybe. Yeah. I just don't know really why you would do that, but you theoretically could. Sure. Like I've heard of people do this. So typically when you are ending your threads, you are going to take, let's pretend a bunch of this were stitched. There was a lot more than just this little spot. You're going to take your needle and run it through the back of your stitches again. If it's basically or continental, either horizontal or vertically, and you're going to run this through it. And you're going to run it through about two or three inches, like, you know, the length of the needle and maybe even a little. and again, back to our earlier discussion, if you're tying off and you're working on this piece and you're tying off your white, I would try to tie off your white in a white space. I would try to tie off your blue in a blue space. Try to keep colors within the same colors. It's less important with a lighter color being tied off in a darker color space. Yes. You know, like if you were had just started this huh. white, I don't know why you'd run out here. You could probably tie off your white into the blue world. Mm-hmm come to an end of course none of this the world's going to come to an end because there are no needle plant please you will not be arrested but you're not going to see the white and the blue i can guarantee you you'll see a shadow of blue in your white so um with you yes yes um bargello tux that name always like kind of like throws me because like what is that (laughs) so um most of the time and I, I am assuming it's called a Bargello Tuck because people used it when they used to stitch a lot of Bargello because the stitches in Bargello are long. long. Yeah, I did not know what this was, so I'm learning. Okay, you you do know what it was. You do know what it is. You've probably used it regularly. You just didn't know it had a name. Okay. So that's that's how it was for me. So a Bargello Tuck, primarily in most needle pointers' lives, is used when you're working with a rayon thread that's super slippery. So we all have some of us a love hate relationship with neon rays. I mean there's nothing better than the look of neon rays, but it is not the easiest thread to work with. It's it's all rayon, it's super slippery, but that shine is phenomenal and you love it. But if you have stitched with neon rays, you know that if you just go through that little two or three inches we just talked about and cut off your thread, it's gonna pop out. Like, there's wool wants to stick to wool. Silk will stick to silk. Slippery, again, slippery is just slippery. Doesn't work. So, mm-hmm. uh, when you, and I wish I had something that was partially stitched. I can't believe I don't have anything here. But you would run your needle through, and I'm just going to do a darning stitch. We're just going to pretend like you're going to run through the back of your stitches like this. And uh-huh. this were neon rays There is no way that would stay. So you're going to turn back around and go, The opposite direction. Uh huh. So again, this is, you know, you would not be going through the canvas. You'd be going through the back of your stitches. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's it's kind of intuitive. Once you've been burned by neon rays once, you know how to do this. You and just this, didn't know how to this. is just your ending your threads, not starting. So, like, then you're in right. the spot. And it, okay. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's hard to I, – Yes, I, yes, yes. I got I you. apologize. That's I didn't have a real piece with me. No, that's so okay. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Well, so like, if we're doing it on here, we'd go through – if this were the back, you'd go through the blue, and then you turn around and go back through the blue this way, like a channel above. Yeah. So that's it. the barjello chalk. And I believe again it's called a barjello chalk because barjello was always done in wool in classic needlepoint. Um, but they're two, four, and six threads high. So if you run your thread your if you're trying to bury your threads in something that's six threads high, Going through it one direction just isn't going to Well, come. and the other
0: reason I think is because you probably have to kind of get your, weave your needle into the canvas, opposed to just sticking it underneath stitches, because there isn't any stitches behind Bargello. It's all, it's just bare canvas. You've got, you're, you've got all these open holes here. And so what I think they're saying is they're tucking
1: this under all these stitches,
0: underneath the canvas, right? Well, you're
1: on the back side of the canvas. You don't want to go underneath the canvas and you're going to make a mess of the front side of your canvas. What am I not understanding? So your Bargello is going to do this
0: on the front. Yeah.
1: And hopefully on the back, it's also going to do that because you're going like this. Correct. Correct. All of this open right is just canvas. So you're going to go in and you're going to have to weave that into the canvas and through, not the thread, because the thread is just doing this. Yes, but that would scare me to weave through the canvas. I feel like I would disrupt the front. I don't know mm-hmm. how else it's gonna stay though. You think it's just gonna well, stay because you're gonna do a Bargello tuck. <laughs> but what do you know? so <laughs> yeah. we're we're kind of beating the dead horse here because most people now aren't stitching in the classic Bargello style, which was done in pattern iron wool. Right, and wool. Right, 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 Yeah. Knitting like again we're knitting shop in a little shop. Wool sticks to wool. Yeah. Like, yeah. It yeah. wants to stay together. So if you ran it through the back of the wool threads once and then turned around and went back the other way. Yep. That's good enough. Yep. Yep. So, yep. That, yes, I got um, it. So there's a lesson on Bargello Tuck. Which there you we know, go. You've probably been doing it with neon rays and never knew. But yes. that's basically I do what all kinds do. of stuff on the backs of things to make things tuck. And I never know if they're right or not. I just make sure it doesn't show on the front. <laughs> so, okay. So the other thing that I find that, especially with newer stitchers, they're going to run, so let's pretend that this is nice stitching on the back, which it is not. Yes. They're going to run their thread through the back of their stitching. Okay, we know that's not enough to, to actually hold it, but we're for demonstration purposes, we're going to say that it went through a bunch of threads. Yes. What they're going to want to do, the newer stitcher is going to do this. Yes. And they're going to lose that thing because they're so scared to get close to the back of the canvas. And then when you pick up your next thing, inevitably, we'll see you're if like I can meet on it. Yes. Your one of your threads is gonna go through here. Of course, I can't make it do it now. But those little tails are gonna, gonna pull it. Yes. yes. And so what you really wanna do is instead of what I did the first time, you're gonna take your scissors. We'll see if I can if I have enough hands to show this. Um Let's see. I think you can see that. And oh, you're going to trim okay. this. You're going to put your scissors on your thread and you're going to back yourself all the way down to your stitching and you're going to cut it right there. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. And okay. what I'm cracking up about over here is Melissa's notes say the leftovers. It makes us it like we're eating pizza. The leftovers should are going to get in your way. So you got to cut those leftovers all the way
0: down. And you're right. And that
1: nothing drives me more crazy. And when I very first learned from my um, teacher, I was kind of like you, I was so worried. So I'm like, very, um, she's like, always go perpendicular, which is what I was doing to your, you know, and I'm going, and I caught like eight or nine or 10 and she's like, okay, wait, 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 we're not trying to tap, you know, get the leaning tower of Pisa pulled back up here. All we're doing is tacking down a few threads, believe it or not, like get yourself under a couple, two, three threads, pull it up and it will stay there. It's just, it's just sitting right underneath the surface, underneath all of its friends. And you can go all the way down and it's going to stay. Nobody's going to, you would literally have to get your needle and, like, dig it back out to get it back out. I mean, and that's why it should be hard to. Well, and I I tend to bury, like, almost, the, like, probably that much I go under. Because I have seen too many nightmares where things pop out. So I I tend to bury under, like, almost the length of the needle. I mean, not, not quite because you're right that you can't even pull the needle end out. But, you know, a, a good two-thirds of the needle because then you still have enough. But that cutting close to the canvas, what you've already stitched, is super important. Exactly, and I'm talking about basket weave too. Like if you're doing some other stitch, like if you're doing gauzy, and I do a lot more decorative stitches, and so you because those aren't as tight and snug, you you have to vary it. I'm just saying when I very first learned, I was like trying to push it under all these threads, and then I didn't want to cut it all the way. And she was like, No, no, a couple a couple threads, and cut it down to the nub. You're good. So. Point now taken. there is our magic save. We talked oh. about this part right a bit. We both love our snag nabbits. I never. So, uh, yeah. So if you end up you're you're maybe learning from this episode, you have a couple little tails leftovers, quote unquote, that pop to the front. This snag nabbit will save you because it is a sharp needle on one end or sharpish. It's probably a tapestry needle. And then this other end is all bumpy and like ridgy. And so if you've got one of those little leftovers that have popped to the top, you just find where it's popping up. You stick the sharp end through the canvas and those little ridges, grab that leftover and pop it back to the back where it belongs. So um this is a really great tool for that. It's really great if for some reason one of the tension of one of your stitches is looser than it should be. Lots of good uses for this. But if you forget about the leftovers, that's your saving grace. So yep. Yep. um the last thing with burying is um don't don't use your thread to the very 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 end, right, so back to my sample unless unless you don't think you're gonna make it. well, <laughs> let's see so you've got you've got choices like if, assuming you have more thread which right. the less's do or you have more access to thread, you're better off um not working it down to the very end because what ends up happening? is okay so right now when you're stitching you've got this nice long length to work well let's pretend you're to the end of this thread this thread's going to be really beat up by the time we're done because i've done so much yeah. If you're trying to do your last couple of stitches with this yeah. much thread you're going to be making those stitches way tighter because now you're trying to turn yep and yep stitch and those last couple of stitches are going to be so much than the rest of your stitching kind of look terrible yep. so I think that again especially when we first start stitching we're kind of having for some of us a little bit of a heart attack about the expense of this hobby we just hopped into and I'm going to get like every little bit out of it that I can like when I used to stitch with my frontier, she started seriously stitching before I did and like if I had this much thread left over, I would cut it off and put it in my little flasaway bag for the next time I use that thread, like, which might be on a different project. And she'd be throwing, and my friend Betsy, who now works here, would be in situ with us, and she'd throw it in the org bowl. And we're both going, like oh, that's expensive. You could still do that. Well, now I've learned that after it's been dragged through the, the canvas that many times, like just let it go. It is the cheapest part of the entire process.
0: It's true. Penime, it's
1: book. Canvas, like all those things are working. It's on. totally true. If you do find yourself in one of those situations though where you're really struggling to make one that last skein, maybe you have like you're like, Oh, I have to make it through here, I can't find that other guy or whatever. Another tip is petite needles. Someone told me that one time. Yeah. The petite that's a good needle point. doesn't take as much length to get in and out. And so I right. I would
0: invest in a set of petite needles just to get your, and those are just shorter. And I hate stitching with them on the regular because my hand is just used to the longer needles So I, I know how it feels in my hand. But if I'm in a situation or if someone is in a situation where they're like, I don't know if this is going to work. I'm like, get yourself a set of petite needles because then at the end, you can try to make that tail go.
1: Mm-hmm. We carry those. And I, I know that some people love them. And I personally, they're not my thing either. No. But that's a really, really good use them that I hadn't thought of. So see, every time we do this, we learn something from each other. That's so. true. That is true. Uh, okay. I, we're going to fly through these last couple things because I feel like we've been jabbering for a long time. I didn't notice what time we started. So, um, wash your hands. Even before COVID with needlepoint, <laughs> always wash your hands. It will save you from so many issues and you might not think that you have a little of whatever on your hands. Wash your hands before you start the kitchen. End of story. Um, People ask this question all the time. So I've got my red threaded and I've just stitched these dots. Can I jump from one dot to another in this little circle? My answer is going to be absolutely. I mean, they're only like two threads apart, even though it's a white background. There's not, I I don't think it's really going to show. Then, but if you, because this is a white background, if you're going from red to this red, I probably wouldn't jump all the way across. I wouldn't, I'm a little OCD in that way and I'm never OCD, but yeah. (laughs) Now, like down here, I probably wouldn't jump from stripe to stripe on the blue and the white because you've got a lot of options. It's going to be really hard to tie off your little red dot anywhere else. That's why I might jump. The other
0: people say, well, you can't really tell. And the truth is, and sometimes you really can't tell when you're stitching, but when you get a backing on that for finishing, and a lot of times it's a white something it's either going to be a white like muslin for for whatever it's going to it's there's a chance it's going to show more so you're going to see shadows on the front of your canvas so that to me that's why it's important to not jump yeah. all of those colors behind your white
1: so other teachers have told me they're kind of again you know I was like a number but even I go with a little bit of judgment call here Um, If it's more than an inch away, don't do any jumping. And this might only be an inch and a half, but I still wouldn't do it. Like, you know, I I might go from there to there. And I'd be more likely to go from there to there if this were sky blue than if it were white. You know, so you just kind of have to think about what's the after effect of this. And some of that you learn more, obviously, with experience. But I think some of it is very logical if you just think about what the end result is going to be as you go.
0: So. You also know yourself. And for me, I'd rather tie it off and start over again in another spot because I don't want to see, but if you think, Oh, eh, that's not going to bug me, then just go
1: for it. You know? Right. Um, okay. to to make your best canvas in the finish. And the yeah, there we go. Your best <laughs> needle point yet. Um, <laughs> frames. We have a whole episode on frames versus no frames. So we're not going to beat this dead horse either. Um, Megan and I are both professed. You know, mainly frames, but definitely you no know, frames are okay in our world, in our personal world. We're not here to judge anyone. The only thing that I will absolutely tell you, and my finisher, my finishing manager has said to me, please share this wherever you can, is Krynek is an all, um, metallic thread, all synthetically made. It will not block. So when they block something, so when if you stitch off of a frame and your piece turns into a trapezoid, if it is a man-made product or uh, naturally made product, cotton, silk, wool, they will lightly steam it and they'll pin it and it will go back into a square. Um, however, that said, those items have memory, and so if you finish it into a soft uh, product like a clutch purse, let's say that is uh with a fabric back, that now square is still gonna want to go back to being a trapezoid But what I really want to say here is Crymeck in particular, because it's all metallic, um it it won't block. Like if it's wonky, it's gonna get slightly unwonky, but it's pretty still gonna be wonky. So if you want to do a Christmas ornament that's like all metallic, use a frame. I know you might not be a frame user, but if you want that metallic hundred percent metallic look, and just use a frame. That's the only time that I'm gonna like kind of beat somebody up about frame or no frame. Like that's the time to try out a frame and if you think it's not for you, then don't stitch in a hundred percent frame. I will say though, unless you're not completely concerned about your round ornament not being totally round. Well, that's true. If you're okay <laughs> with an egg
0: you well or if it's just it's just never gonna hang straight. and you know sometimes I look at things that come back and I'm like oh shoot and the finisher's like look I blocked that four times that
1: right. was not, this and this looks way more circular than it did when I got it and right. so you know it's it I can improve it it's just never going to go totally straight so and it's again using 100% uh, man-made products right that, yep. that's yep. The, yep, 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 um, yep. Just go through all these couple of terms because sometimes you hear people talking about clean holes and dirty holes and if you're in your stitcher you're like, What? My stuff's all clean. I don't do dirty. So I washed my hands. That's right. Um, so what we're talking about when you're talking about a clean hole and dirty hole is ideally as you're stitching, you want to come up through the canvas. Get back to my visuals. Um, you want to come up, sorry. Up through the canvas in an empty hole. So you want to come up in an empty hole, which if you're looking at a charted di- diagram, will always be an odd number. And you want to go down in, quote unquote, a dirty hole, meaning a hole that's already been used once. Because most holes are shared for the most part in most of And your down stitches are always an even number. So if you heard the hear the word clean and dirty, you're coming up in an empty hole. And you're going down in a used hole or an already sheared hole,
0: and the obvious reason for that is because
1: invariably your thread has is going to touch, so it's going to pull the other one up just a little bit. Um, yeah, so you want to you're trying to keep the coming up from disrupting anything. You pull right. it down, everything's going to fall. In the and sometimes you have to. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast, um, right. and so that's why you're stagnant. Okay. I'm, I'm turning around and looking for a good example back here. Okay. So this canvas, let's pretend you were doing a little water stitch, um, and this isn't a good example. I should have a better example of what I'm trying to say. I guess I'm not going to worry about this. If you're doing a decorative stitch and you're trying to figure out how to do it, many times um, if there's a lot of interruptions at the top, I say to people, well, just turn your canvas over right. and start the stitch here and work your way down. Um, it feels awkward to do it upside down, but depending on the shape of your canvas, you're going to have that aha moment with your stitch sooner if you can flip the canvas over based on the interruption. So I, if I were smarter and more well-prepared, I would have had a better canvas to show you that. But just keep in mind, flipping your canvas over and make, stitching it with the design upside down is totally okay and many times it makes sense. And especially if you want, I've, I do it a lot when I've got, and I know this isn't the point you were trying to make, but like if you don't want to have you dragging your hand over your stitches, you've already so you can turn it. Correct. That of. also is a valid reason to do that too. Yep. Um, really, really important to have good sharp scissors in the needlepoint point world. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean breaking the bank. Um, I have used these little scissors a number of times since we've been on here. Mm-hmm. I think these are like $6 scissors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not super high end, but they are super duper pointy. Pointy. There we go. There's the point. Right. Um, and they will get your threads cut nicely and easily. Um, my favorites, of, as I've talked about many times, are these um, Italian-made. No, I need scissors. What are they called? Uh, Premax. Premax. I get some from Prinex, um, and they have a curved use. I love my gangers too. The, I do love my gangers. We also wanted the limited edition ones, blah blah blah. I have every year, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, but you want just a good quality scissor. Like don't pick up your preschoolers abandoned, you know, dull scissors, I don't remember. It's just made. gonna frustrate you because it's not gonna give you a clean cut and so then your thread is gonna potentially unravel or unwind or it's just it's just gonna frustrate you. That's the only yeah. one. so good scissors. Uh, good embroidery, scissors, whatever the price would be. Yep. Yep. Um, last issue. Uh, shaped ornaments and extra rows and embellishments. So I did pull out a couple of examples. So cute little sock monkey here. <laughs> he was successfully a shaped ornament because his curves are nice and gentle. So... My finisher could even get up here and give him actual legs. We didn't need to stitch him between the legs. So with your shaped ornaments, you need nice, gentle curves. And so here's another example. This canvas was not, these are not nice, gentle curves on the design itself. So we, I think Megan actually taught me a while ago that the proper term for this is shadow stitching. So making like a little shadow around here. But again, you can't just go... Three threads outside of the star and make it still super jiggy jaggedy and nice it needs to be a nice gentle curve right right um, The other thing to be aware of is in this situation, I used all sorts of glitz and glamour on this piece. I love that yeah there are bugle bees, there's this gorgeous precious models that they don't make anymore, although I just found a, a replacement. I think I hope it's coming tomorrow. I'll, I'll keep you posted on it if that's yeah. successful. um. But I'll be honest, my finisher probably hated me when she had to finish this. Because if you can see over here, look how close my beads are to the edge of the canvas. There were probably a lot of curse words. When I mean, she's trying to hand stitch the backing to the front, the cording to the edge, and all these beads are that close, she probably hated me. If I were uh smarter then or nicer, I, I will say smarter because I think I've always been nice. Um, <laughs> uh, I would have stitched a couple more rows so that my 3d embellishments were not totally on top of the edge of, the you stitch. know, I just had a conversation with someone today and I wish I could remember what her Instagram handles cause I'd give her credit for it, but she's talking about sending us a, um, oh my gosh, what's the thing in new Orleans that you stick with? voodoo doll, voodoo doll. Yeah. And she did this really cool loop Turkey work hair. Mm-hmm. And I looked at it and I was like, how is the finisher? So I would say that what I'm, my point is, it was all along the edge. And right. what I said to her is, you know, I really think you might want to put a couple of right. sewing stitches. Otherwise, all his hair is going to get caught up in the thighs. Like there's no way around it. There's so much. And so then, but the other thing too, is that I think what they could do is just. What they would ha- what they would have to do if there were not sewing stitches is they're going to have to bend that canvas back and leave a little bit of their canvas. I would be surprised if yours was completely covered by the cording. Um, I mean, they probably did the best they could, but my point is that if you get something back and you've used beads on the edge and right. you're like, man, I see a couple canvas threads. Well, there's only so much they can do, you know. Well, I will say, you know, my finishes are darn good. Well, so. There isn't any canvas shine, but I have a feeling there were a number of curse words that were spoken. Well Either evening. that or else a couple of those beads went bye-bye and you don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> that could be. Who knows? I won't look too closely. We don't want okay. to try that But out. So, the point is, um, like, give, your, give yourself and the finishers a break by giving a little extra room so that you're not frustrated um, when it comes back. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So I think I've, I've kind of, Killed the topic. We had a little bit more, if you can believe it, in our two-hour class, but I tried to break it down to the most meaningful part.
0: Well, and I think, again, that we're trying to do our best to just give you some ideas of things that will help you, um, and then help, again, just help the process along, because you'll be happier. You've spent the time and the money, and we would just want to help you get your, you know,
1: process to the point where you'll be really satisfied at the end. Um, we, you know, I, you kept saying beating a dead horse, and I think I think you're right, but that's
0: not what we're trying to do. We're trying—we're not trying to like beat it into you. We're trying to say we don't want to belabor the point, but this is all going to help you at the end
1: game of your of your canvas. And if oh, and I think my my beating the dead horse comments were more for maybe our loyal watchers because oh sure they've heard, heard it over and over right. else from time <laughs> to time. But so. the truth is, a lot of these um a lot of these tips are important for different reasons. So right. we've talked about di- those for different like stranded threads. The reason why to um you know, use the snag nabbit or make sure you train, you know so um, so I think that hopefully you know people are getting something out of it and understanding different reasons for paying attention to these different things and we all we know too that stitchers are all different, and you're using different tools, you're using different types of threads, you're using different types of canvases, and so hopefully these will some of these will apply to the way that you're stitching your canvas, so yes, yes, yes yeah, I think okay. you're Thanks. awesome, and you Thanks. you drove this way. More than I could. You did a great job. So yeah. I kind of just felt like I was lost the right? <laughs> this time. Uh, I have to share some credit with my finishing manager here because she was the kind of original like brainchild of this class. And I think it's because she's the one as the finishing manager who has the finishers coming back to her and saying, I've got this little problem. The beads are too close to the edge, or I tried to block this and the chronic didn't totally block. So yep. she um, really was uh, very, uh, important in creating this class, and I helped her round it out. Um, we had fun doing it. So. I think it's great, and I think that we're gonna keep doing this. I think we've gotten good feedback from um, giving tips and tricks in different specific areas, and so we'll keep doing it and uh hopefully you'll stick around so um yep. I, I think that ties it up for for this week. um yep. if you have not already, I know we say this every single time, but we really hope that you hit that subscribe button. um I tried to do it from a non logged in um uh, Phone, my husband's phone. I was like, oh, look at an extra you know, and he wasn't logged in on his Gmail account on his phone. And so, um, I think it, you might run into that problem. I've heard some people say, I don't know how to subscribe. Well, you have to have some sort of an account to log in. But if it's easy for you, if you've got your um, Google Drive, you can you can log in and get, and you can subscribe, and then you'll get all the information, including information. Um,
0: I'm going to say it again because we
1: mentioned it last week about our pending
0: retreat. So yeah, uh, yeah. we are That's getting closer hard. to announcing uh, the details, and um, yeah. So be sure to be um, subscribed to us here on YouTube, to be following us at the Pointing It Out podcast um, Instagram account, and um, of course we'd love for you to follow our own accounts too because we we often are doing things on each other's accounts. So uh, on sure. the applause and at S2. so that wraps it up, my friend. Well, good
1: to see you. As always, and, uh, you have a great night and uh, we'll see you next time. Sounds good.
0: Bye. Bye. Pointing It Out Podcast is a part of the ACAST Creator Network. For more information, please visit us on Instagram at Pointing It Out Podcast or subscribe to our YouTube channel at Pointing It Out Podcast. Shop online at Needlepoint Clubhouse by visiting stlneedlepoint.com and follow us on Instagram at stlneedlepoint. And visit the Wool and the Floss online shop at woolfloss.com
1: and follow at Floss on Instagram as well.